Good morning. It's good to be here with you, friends. So as we are getting ready for, for New Year's, it's often that we're thinking about resolutions and what it is that we're going to do differently in the coming year. And because we're on this side of New Year's for this particular sermon, I thought that it would be appropriate to take a step back from the thoughts of doing and reflect on the motivation behind why we do what we do. Um, but before we get into that, friends, would you pray with me? Would you invite the Spirit to come and teach us today? Lord God, we come before you knowing that we are incapable of coming to your word and understanding it without you. Lord, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. And that's hearing, that's preaching, that's everything. Lord, we are in need. And so we ask that you would send your spirit, that he would open our eyes to understand this text and how it points to your son. And Lord, would you use me, use me now to build your kingdom. We can't do this without you. Would you come and meet us? in Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray. Amen. So Psalms is probably my least favorite book in the entire Bible. Uh, part of the reason for that is because I just enjoy everything else so much. You know, there's a lot of narratives in the Bible, and I love a good story. I'm a sucker for a really good story. I really like the epistles and just tracking through the logic of the New Testament and, uh, and seeing the logical flow and arguments. That's, that's my thing. If there was an actual ivory tower, I would really want to sit in it and debate all day because that's just, it's fun for me. Uh, there's, there's lots of different, different types of books in the Bible. The prophets are totally, mind-blowingly ridiculous to try and get into and to understand. And I just think that that's so much fun. But the Psalms, not so much. See, when you get to the Psalms, if you try to read the Bible from front to back, you get to the Psalms and you read one or two. And you maybe have only read a total of 20 verses, but you feel like you can't really go any further. You know, you can't just speed read through the Psalms. You have to stop and you have to think about it. And not because it's an intense logical uh, sort of thing that you need to, to digest and break apart, but rather just because it's so heavy and laden with emotion. Oh. I just don't like the Psalms very much. <laughs> But sometimes, sometimes that emotional richness and the depth, really the earthiness that comes from the Psalms just gets in your face and points out things that you yourself have gone through and you recognize that and it drives you to a deeper understanding of God's love for you. Sometimes our hearts get a tendency to develop the shell, at least mine does. And when I spend all my time in the intellectual realm, uh, the, the emotional aspect of my salvation becomes numb. And when that shell builds, I, I treat some really special things as common. And so the reason that we're going through Psalms today, even though that I don't particularly care for them, is because the emotional weight of this particular Psalm cracked my shell. And it let some of the light in. And it was really refreshing for me to stop and, re, uh, and dwell on it. And I wanted to share that experience with you. So, uh, beloved, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 32. 
We're going to spend most of our time in Psalm 32 and quickly go through 33 as well. Now, before we get into the actual text, I want to make you aware of a conversation that you didn't know you cared about. So there's, a, there's this word in, in Psalm 32 that occurs three times. You'll, you'll notice it kind of indented off by itself. It's Selah. And I might be butchering the pronunciation with it, but just roll with me, okay? Um, that word is a Hebrew word. And I don't know about you, but when I come to a Hebrew word in an English translation, I just wonder if somebody got paid for that, you know? <laughs> to, just, to just put, well, okay, this, we'll just put the Hebrew word on that one. I'll translate everything else, but I'm just going to be lazy on this. Obviously, that's not what happened, but that's, that's what I thought the first time I looked at it. So as it turns out, what's actually happening here is that a lot of really intelligent and really godly men that have studied Hebrew their entire lives disagree on what this means. And so translators, to play it safe, they'll just put a transliteration on how you would more or less pronounce the Hebrew word. Now you're wondering, well, why are we spending so much time on this if nobody knows, right? Because the three prevailing theories are all pretty similar, and I, I've got a theory myself, but I wanted, I wanted to let you in on this conversation so you understand as we're going through. So Selah could be coming from the Hebrew word to lift up in praise, which could mean that it's a, a musical instruction. The Psalms, after all, are songs. This is a book of songs, of hymns. Uh, it, it could be that David is instructing the people to pull away for a minute and either sit in silence or to rehearse what he had just said in harmony. So it would be kind of a call and response. The first man says the part of the psalm, the first verse, as it were, and then the, everybody else repeats it in harmony. It could be that it comes from the Hebrew word to weigh on a scale. So like you would put an item on one end of a scale, you'd put weights on the other end of the scale to determine its value. So it could be that this word is coming from the, uh, the idea of stopping and evaluating. Stopping and, and putting value to something. It could also be, and this is the most common theory uh, in present day, it could be that the word just means to pause. In which case, we just stop. We read a verse and stop. So we've got three potential meanings from, from the leading thinkers of today. We've got to lift up in praise, to weigh and evaluate, or simply to pause. And again, we don't actually know. This is a word that only occurs in the Bible, and it mostly only occurs in Psalms. We don't have anything else to compare it to. Now that's kind of unique. So here's my theory. Because it mostly only occurs in the Psalms, and mostly only in David's Psalms, I think David made up a word. <laughs> now, maybe this is just me reading myself into David a little bit, because, you know, we do that. We look at the characters of the, of the Bible, uh, real people, and we say, oh, yeah, I'm like them because of such and such. Well, I definitely make up words all the time, um, especially when I'm trying to communicate more concisely. Now, this might be a really millennial answer, so I apologize to, to those of you who are thinking that. Um, but I think that there, it could be that David made up a word to communicate all three of these ideas. Uh, you know, sometimes 
we talk about the, the, uh, the perseverance of the saints uh, as, a, as a doctrine. And what we mean is that God is preserving those who are his and he's going to carry them all the way to salvation. Well, that's, that's perseverance, but the, that's also preservation. And so why don't we just make up a word? We'll call it perseverance. It's the perseverance of the saints. I think that's exactly what David's doing here. I think he's combining Hebrew words. And so regardless of whether or not I'm right, for sake of today's sermon, we're going to pretend that I am. Everybody cool with that? <laughs> Great. Um, but even if I'm not, all three of these potential meanings mean that we are supposed to give more attention to what was just said. And if I am right, then there's just a little bit more weight to it. We are to stop, pause. We are to put it in the scales and we are to determine the value of what was just said. And in response to that, we are to lift up in praise. And you're saying to me, Dan, can we get into the text? <laughs> and yes, absolutely we can. I just wanted to not interrupt the text with this conversation because it's, it's going to be helpful for understanding it as we move forward. So, without further ado, let's get into Psalm 32. David writes, blessed is the one whose, for, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed, happy, in a position of favor is the man whose sin is forgiven by God. There's a little bit of a familiarity amongst Christians when it comes to God's forgiveness. And Rightly so. It is the core of what we believe, is that through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we can be forgiven of our sins. But familiarity often translates into us treating it as common. And I don't, I don't want that to be the case this morning. David repeats himself three times. Blessed, happy, in a position of favor is the man who's forgiven of his sins, whose iniquity is not counted by the Lord. He's stressing the importance of the forgiveness of sins. But then he ends it with this kind of weird phrase, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, why would you include that, David? Let's keep reading. Verse 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Selah. What I think is happening here is that David, initially, was not that man in whose spirit was no deceit. But rather he was keeping silent about his sin, he was covering it up. He was hiding it. Well, we don't know which sin in particular this was, but when we think about sin that David was trying to hide, my money is on Bathsheba. And he describes his experience with this. He, he is keeping silent about it. He's hiding his sin from God. Foolish thing to begin with. And his bones are wasting away. His strength is being dried up. The, a more literal translation would be that his vitality was dying. The very essence of his life was slowly rotting. And that's what he felt like while he was keeping his sin silent from God. 
because God's hand was heavy upon him. Now, my guess is if, the, if you have been in Christ for very long, you know exactly what this is like. You've probably experienced it to some degree where you've had some sort of sin that you have kept hidden or that you've cherished, that you don't talk about to other people or to even God. And God's hand became heavy upon you. And you felt worn out. You felt like your, your, your strength was just drying up. Let me tell you a little bit of a story about uh, how, how I experienced this somewhat recently. If, uh, if you've been around Fract for very long, um, you were probably expecting to see Todd Eckert up here today. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, he's uh, off obeying God's commands and calling on his life. Um, but when he left, my wife and I prayed because it, it was almost immediate as soon as we found out that Todd was going away. It was almost immediate that I knew I was going to have to do something with the youth. And I was excited for it. And I wanted to be a part of it. A couple weeks go by, and I wasn't sure how I was going to do it because my job was pretty demanding and the schedule was conflicting. And I knew that if I was going to try to make it work with my current job, that I was going to have to take a little bit of a pay cut and we weren't doing real well financially. And I got scared. And it was probably because it took this long, um, but I, I started to get a little bit of cold feet. And then, one Sunday, Doug pulls Jeff and I aside and he says, hey, I want you guys to lead the youth. And I'm already scared. I know that this is what God wants me to do. It was so clear, even before Doug came and asked. And it was what I wanted to do. I was so excited about it. And I said, Doug, what if I can't make this work? And he said, well, I'll figure it out. Because that's what Doug does. That's great. And so I, I tried for a little while, but in my heart, I was disobeying. I was looking for an opportunity, an excuse to stop serving. And so I was really half-hearted with the youth, and I've already apologized to them for that, and I think, I think we're cool. But, um, but man, it was several months where I was intending, without telling him, I was intending on disobeying God. I was looking for a way out, and I wasn't even putting forth effort like I needed to with our youth. And it was a slow spiral downward. Because I was trying to hide something from God, my prayer life vanished. I felt like I couldn't talk to him because he would know. Obviously, he knew whether I talked to him or not. I felt like I couldn't read from the scripture. Because something in there would, would point out my faithlessness and point out the fact that I was being afraid even though God has promised that I would be taken care of as his child. And I was scared. Now, I don't know if you've gone through anything like this. I'm sure that you have. Extended time away from prayer and from reading leads to a disconnect with the body of Christ. And when, even when I came here, I felt like I couldn't really love people because somebody might ask how things are going and then I'd have to answer them. And so I slowly started bringing myself into a shell. I became impatient with my wife. 
My marriage was really hard for a while, and that was my fault. I became impatient with my son and distant. I wasn't being the kind of father that I wanted to. And sin upon sin started piling up. And it was all because I just disobeyed, and I knew it, and I wasn't willing to bring it before the Lord. This is exactly what it feels like. My bones felt like I was drying up. I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning, and that's not something I've felt for a really long time. But then something happened. Um, and I'm sorry for embarrassing you if you're here. I don't see it yet. But one Sunday, we came into service a little bit late, and I was planning on leaving a little bit early, um, but Tyler Curtis caught me. And he gave me a hug, like Tyler does. And he asked how I was doing. And I said, I'm okay, I gotta get to work. But it reminded me that there is love in Christ, that I don't have to continue being where I am. And it was just a simple act, just a simple checking up on me. And all of a sudden it clicked for me what was happening. I was dying on the inside because I was pulling myself away from the source of life. And he, God, was putting his hand heavy on me to bring me to repentance. And the same thing happened for David. And like I said, I'm sure that the same thing has happened to you on some level. And if it hasn't, it probably will. This seems to be something that's common to Christian experience. But stop and consider that. This is something that God does. God puts his hand heavy upon people to dry up their strength. Lift that up in praise. Because that means that God is doing something. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Stop. Put that in your scales. Dwell on that. David just comes and confesses to the Lord, God, I have sinned. And God forgives him. Selah. This happened with me as well. After, after going to work and not seeing a single customer, <laughs> I had a lot of time to sit there and think, I had a lot of time to figure out what was going on and why it was that my strength was drying up. And I came before the Lord. I said, God, I just want to come back home. Would you forgive me? I have sinned and I want to obey. And he forgave me. And not only that, but he, he renewed my strength. All of that bone-rotting nonsense just went away entirely, and he empowered me. And I've never been more excited about what he's doing in my life and what he's doing with the youth group now that I'm, I'm here, and I'm present, and I know that God is in it. It's wonderful. 
Forgiveness is a visceral experience. It's something that hits on an emotional level when we stop and consider it and we weigh it correctly. And so friends, if you are in sin today, God's forgiveness in Christ is available to you. Not as something common. Yeah, it's always available for now. It is something precious and special. But it is available. Come and confess. Let's keep reading. Pick up in verse 6. David says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble, and you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Verse 6 is kind of scary. But it's good to dwell on. Confess while there is still time. David sure makes it sound like there's another flood coming, doesn't he? There's an old spiritual that I think about pretty often. Um, God gave Noah the rainbow sign. It won't be water, but fire next time. Judgment is coming, and on that day, God will not be turning his ear to those who are confessing their sin. That day is not yet. It might be today, I don't know, but it's not right now at least. Confess your sin while he may be found. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Bring your sin to the Lord and he will forgive you. And for those of us that, that have experienced the benefit of the gospel, we recognize him as a hiding place. He will preserve us in the times of trouble and surround us with shouts of deliverance. And that is worth taking to God and lifting up in praise. And there's a lot of faces I don't recognize I hear today, so I just want to be clear on something. When I say gospel, when I say good news, when I'm talking about forgiveness, I just want to be clear on what it is that we're talking about. Um, God, in the beginning, when he created, he created man to bring glory to his son. And he gave them a pretty simple command, don't eat of that fruit. The day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Pretty simple command. And yet, Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit. You see, it wasn't about the fruit. It wasn't about the fact that they, they wanted to eat something that was off limits. No, it was about wanting to be like God, wanting to be independent of his rule and wanting to make themselves like God's. Um, and man, every single generation of humanity, every individual of humanity since then has been doing the exact same thing. We've been putting ourselves up as gods, we've been worshiping ourselves, and we've been committing cosmic treason that is deserving of God's wrath. And he would have been fully within his rights to wipe every single one of us out in the flood. He didn't, though. And every generation since then, he would have been completely within his rights to destroy every single one of us because we have earned it. But he didn't. He chose another path. And that's what we celebrated with Christmas. He chose to send his son, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, to come to earth and to partake in our humanity. And not only that, but to go to the cross, and more than the physical pain, 
He endured the wrath that was built up for you and I. He paid the debt that we had accrued. He died the death that we deserved. He took all of our sin and our suffering and our hell upon himself and traded it for his righteousness and his life in God and right relationship with the Father. And now all he asks is that you put your faith in him, that you trust him and that you repent, you turn away from your sins. And you can be brought into right relationship with God with joys forevermore. There's a, there's a psalm that I really like, or not a psalm, but a hymn. Come, you sinners, poor and weary, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready stands to save you, and grace requires nothing more. Selah. Stop and think about that. This is the gospel that we believe as Christians. And he is coming back. Seek him while he may be found. Let's keep reading. In verse 8, it seems to switch voices to, to God speaking. And he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with the bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Get the imagery here. Have you guys been around donkeys? I've been around donkeys. I was seven, okay? And I don't remember much of this except for the terror. Um, <laughs> donkeys don't listen very well. Uh, and uh, my grandparents had a, uh, a family friend who had a donkey, and they put a saddle on this donkey because it was about my height, and I could get up on it, and I could ride it. And this donkey didn't listen to a thing that I said. It wouldn't go where I was directing it. It didn't care that I was pulling the reins this way or that. And after a little while, it got sick of me being on it. And so this donkey walked right under a clothesline. <laughs> Left me in the dust. <laughs> Donkeys are the worst. <laughs> but you get the imagery. Don't be like a donkey that lacks understanding and needs something to keep it near its owner. Don't be like a horse that's poorly trained and needs something to pull over to stay near the owner. Don't be like that. We've already seen in previous verses that God will use severe mercy to keep his children near. He will, if he needs to, put a bit and bridle in your mouth and pull you back. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. Otherwise, we would all just be going off on our own. But be smarter than that. Yeah. Be better than the donkey. Stay on your own accord. Listen to the instructions that God is going to give you. Stay near by yourself. Be better than the donkey. When we keep reading, David, David's voice comes back in and he says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Before we get into Psalm 33, I just... I want to take a moment to, to kind of evaluate where we're at. Again, we're, we're right before New Year's. Take a moment and pause and reflect. 
are you presently in your wickedness with no care to get out? Understand that many sorrows await you and maybe you're even at your door currently. It doesn't have to be that way. God has provided a way of escape. Are you a Christian who is currently in habitual or secret sin? Do you feel God's hand heavy upon you? Are you experiencing what we've been talking about with your vitality being drained? If so, praise God. He's pulling you back. And right relationship with him is just one repentance away. Jesus ready stands to save you. Are you a Christian who has experienced God's forgiveness and maybe it's just become a little bit common? Has your mind and thoughts and dreams and concerns been consumed with everything else? Maybe even everyone else. Stop and evaluate. Put it in your scales. God has paid for your sins through Christ. And with that kind of weight, and with that understanding of what it is that God has done for you, that's where we get into verse 11, which very naturally leads into Psalm 33. There is immense joy in what we've talked about. Yeah, it's been weighty. And I think that's part of the reason that Psalm 32 and 33 are split up, is because Psalm 32 is a much slower pace it's supposed to be weighty. You're supposed to stop and consider. You're supposed to stop and think and put it in your scales and feel the weight of what's going on. But then he ends it with, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And as we continue reading into 33, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with lyre and make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts, for the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth their host he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he has chosen for his heritage. So much faster, so much more upbeat. Praise God. Write him a new song. Do whatever it takes. Pray, play a lyre. Play something with ten strings. I don't know. Do something. Praise God, for he is great. This is the right response when we have taken the time to stop and consider what he's done for us in forgiving us. He is worthy of our praise. And it is from that place of understanding that we can, we can stand with David and, and we can call out and say, oh my gosh, God spoke and stars were born. What? 
That is amazing. And, and you know, it's even, it's even cooler than that because he spoke and the heavens were made, but by his breath, the stars came to be. The hosts of heavens, they're, they're starry hosts, some translations put it. He breathes stars. What? <laughs> That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. If you have ever stood on a beach and looked at the ocean, you understand that is not a small thing. And yet he can take that and put it into his storehouses. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who spoke and said, let there be light, and light came forth. This is the God who said, let there be life, and life crawled forth. Filled the seas with dolphins and weird stuff like squids, and filled the air with birds. That's wild. This is the God that we serve, and when we, when we understand that He is the one who has listened to us when we confess when we come before him, when we say, I have sinned against you, Father, forgive me, and he does, it is amazing. And it is from that position we can rightly understand that when God does these miraculous works that are so far beyond anything we could comprehend, that we can praise him for it, and we can really recognize who he is. And even more so, we can want to see him. And so that's my challenge for you. Uh, I've got a little bit more I'm going to tell you about because it's, it's fun stuff. But that's my challenge for you. Here's the application, taking it into this next week and, and thinking about what it is that you're going to do for your New Year's resolution. Take time to stop and consider these things first. These things are not secondary to who you are as a human. This is primary. Jesus is the point of your life. Put that in your scales first. And as, as Doug has been reminding us, uh, God is sitting on the throne. Amen? That's pretty cool. He is currently fulfilling his promise to Jesus and taking all of his enemies and making them a footstool beneath Jesus' feet. God is conquering the world. That doesn't stop in 2020. And it's not something new either, which is also pretty cool. Let's look at some of these passages again. Uh, let's look at verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Man can try. But man's arms are too short to box with God. He will win. The counsel of the Lord, on the other hand, verse 11, stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And we understand now, with the New Testament, his plans are centered around Jesus. That's not going to end. And blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. And from David's perspective, that was the Jews. We know better now. In Christ, he has a new people, both Jew and Gentile, including you and me. I don't know about you guys. I don't have a single drop of Jew blood in my, in my veins. I'm 100% Gentile. I'm still included in this new people. Because this people is based off of Jesus' blood, not heritage. Stop and consider that. Stop and weigh that. 
I think for the sake of time, we're just, we're just going to skip the rest of Psalm 33, but don't let this stop here. Take this home. Spend time weighing in your scales what God has done for you. Reread the Psalms. Heck, go look at other Psalms. It's not a great book, but you know, it helps you to feel the weight of it. I hope you all understand I'm just kidding. <laughs> Before you decide what you are going to do, remember your motivation. Remember what Jesus has done for you and remember that he is primary. So music team, would you come? And beloved, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this time of year. We thank you that it inspires change. Uh, and that's exactly what repentance is. So Lord, I pray that uh, those that are feeling your conviction, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't just let that stay at the feeling level, that they would come and they would confess their sins. Lord, would you help us to understand the weight of what it means that you have forgiven our sins? And as we go into the new year, let that be central and burning at our core, giving us the strength um, rather than sinning in secret and you taking our strength away. Lord, use us this coming year. It's in your son's name that we pray.